Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're continuing on with Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. And this week we're continuing with chapter three, this time looking at how we execute a call to a block and also a little bit on how Ruby 2.0 and 1.9 perform against Ruby 1.8. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So what did you think of the reading this week? It was okay. Um, there are still lots of little bits and pieces flying around. Um, and I'm hoping that as we read more, they're going to start to cement in place. Um, but I am finding the diagrams. There are a couple of diagrams that I found pretty useful in helping me um, work out what was going on. But but yes, yeah, still a bit of a few things up in the air. And I'm hoping that through discussing it with you and continuing on in the book, um, they'll all start to fall into place. What about you? When you said there's a lot of little pieces, it just put this picture in my mind of like fireflies and I felt like, especially near, yeah, I think it was in the section where there were a lot of like buzzwords and jargon, a lot of terms that were thrown in, but not fully explained. It felt like, it felt like I was in the middle of a lot of fireflies and I wasn't sure which one I had to catch. You know, and I'm like, oh, this one's pretty, like, do I need to focus on it? And then Pat mm. would say, we're going to go into this in the next chapter. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to let that one go. <laughs> I'm like, oh, like, what about this one? Is this one going to work? No, okay, this is going to be in your chapter seven. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it felt like I kind of wasn't sure what to pay attention to, what to catch, what to hold on to, what to let go of. So, yeah, it definitely felt like there were a lot of things just flying around. I guess the one good thing is that for me, all the things that did feel a bit up in the air, most of them anyway, Pat said, we're going to get to it later. So I, so I, I'm hoping that, you know, as we get further on, like I said, all of this will come together. That would be amazing. I'm hoping, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. See, this is what I love about having you as a reading partner is I feel like every time I'm like, oh, this sucks. You're like, it's fine. It's going to be great. It'll all be explained at a later time. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. That's great. Uh, it's so funny because people <laughs> say that about me and many different other things as well, like bringing the optimism. I like to bring the optimism and the positivity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. I definitely get that from you. Yeah. Cool. So shall we dig into executing a call to a block? Let's do it. So here we start with listing 3-2. And this is our 10 dot times. I feel like we've done this example quite a number of times throughout this book so far. It reads 10 dot times do, puts, and then the string, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, end. And so what we're going to do is we're going to figure out how Yarv is able to uh, execute this code. And we talked earlier, I think near the beginning of this chapter, about this idea of control frames and um, the fact that Ruby keeps its own stack on top of like the Yarv's internal stack. And here we're going to get to unpack that a little bit more. So we go to figure 3-10. And here we see on the left are Yarv instructions. And on the right, we see control frame structures that we're going to dig into. So on the left in the ARV instructions, it starts with trace, which I believe we said all programs start with trace, right? From last yeah, week, Yeah, if I it's think? passed with a function, then it, it, sets a tr it calls that function each time. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we, I don't, we're just ignoring it at the moment. Okay, right. Right, it was the thing that we didn't unpack, but we acknowledge that it's mm -hmm. there. So we have trace, and then on the next line, we have put object 10. And then on the next line, we have send angle bracket, call info, bang, mid, colon, times, comma, arg, c, colon, zero, comma, block, colon, block, in, and then we have compiled in its own set of angle brackets, and then end angle bracket for that whole bit, and then we end with leave. And that maps to uh, a set of control frame structures on the right, 
which, you know, going from, I guess it makes sense to start from the bottom Mm -hmm. because I know it like builds up. So the bottom, the very first control frame structure says RB control frame T. And then in straight brackets, it says top. And then above that, we have a new RB control frame T. And in straight brackets, it has eval. And then we have our CFP, which is our control frame pointer, and it is pointing to that eval control frame, which is the the top of the two control frame structures. So looking a bit more closely at those control frame structures, um, so we've got that one at the bottom that has top, and now Ruby always creates that frame when starting a new program, so it's something that we always see. Um, And then we always have a frame of type eval as well. And that always corresponds to the top level or main scope of the Ruby script. Um, So after looking at that first bit, we now look at when Ruby calls the times method more specifically on the fixed number object 10. And so we add another level to the control frame stack. Um, So now we're looking at figure 311. And there's now three boxes on the right. Um, And above the eval control frame, we've got another one. RB control frame T and this time in the straight brackets it says C func. So we saw this I think last week as well because it refers to a C function and we also see that on the left hand side um, the set of YARV instructions that uh, correspond to that control frame or instead I should say there aren't any YARV instructions because the times method um, refers specifically to a built-in function in C. And so in the gray box on the left, um, we have, again in square brackets, C function and then dash and then int underscore do times. And so what this is saying is that the times method in Ruby refers directly to a C function called int underscore do times. And so there's nothing to um, compile here. There are no Yav instructions, just Ruby directly calls that C code. So this is the part that I was kind of confused about. So going back to 3.10, when we had that send call info bang mid times arg c zero block block, that whole thing, right? Is that... Is that just evaluating the fact that we have a block or like, I guess I just wasn't sure what uh, figure 310 Mm -hmm. and like, what, what is the int dot times referring to? Because like, okay, so 310 has the put object 10. So that's obviously referring to the 10 and the 10 dot times. Mm -hmm. And then we have send, and then we have all this crap. Right? Yes. <laughs> and in the crap, <laughs> in the crap, we have the things that stand out to me are times, mm-hmm. which I assume refers to the fact that we're doing a dot times. Um, the fact that we have, you know, the block colon block, which I assume is referring to the fact that after times we have mm-hmm. a block, right? Yes. But then in 3.11, when we talk about that C function int dot times, Int dot times also reminds me of the 10, which I assume is the integer, and the dot times meaning like the dot times. times, yeah. So, or sorry. Thank, I did thank you. Well. Oh my God, I've been seeing it as dot times the whole time. Uh, yes, the do times. So I guess I'm just confused as to like what is, it feels like they're doing the same thing or they're dealing with the same part of the code. So I think it's breaking down that send bit. So I think what happens is it looks at, so it's put object here, which is straightforward. And it goes to the send thing. Now, the first thing is there's a method called times. So let's deal with that method times. That happens to be a C function. And then the next thing is, oh, and there's no arguments to it. Um, or rather, mm-hmm. the first argument is this block. And so then the next thing that we're going to talk about in figure 312 is, and now we're looking at the block. And I think, we're, you know, if we go back to that um, abstract syntax tree, 
I think it's just going mm-hmm. into the times method, breaking that down. And then it's like, okay, and now I'm going back up and I'm going down the other branch now to look at the block. So, so I guess like when, when it comes to the control, um, what is this thing called? Control frame. The control frame structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the two, we have the, the one that's called eval and the one that's called C-Funk. Mm-hmm. What, is it, is the eval just like acknowledging that we have something called dot times and it's a block and then C-Funk is actually like running that? Yeah, so eval is just anything that relates to um, the top level of the Ruby program. And then the C-Funk is like a, an element, it's like going the next level down. So, so okay, so then so then would I have eval no matter what I had in my yard Yes, you'd always have top and eval. So then eval actually is not related to the fact that it's 10 times No, not at all. So the only part that's related, so then why is it pointing to that? It's pointing to the box because that's the first box of Yarv instructions. Because it's the, it's, the it's the first box of Yarv instructions that's created. So then the C-Funk, which is the control frame T above mm-hmm. it, that is pointing to no Yarv instructions because we don't have because any. Because times is a... This makes no sense to no, me. Okay, okay. So, so, so. <laughs> okay, so we're going... So we're still, so think about it from left to right. So 10 dot times do, right? So the, for the first thing is you have, a, you have a control frame T called top. That's the first thing, Okay. Then, because mm-hmm. that's just always there for any Ruby program, then you start putting together the Yarv instructions. So then you have trace, which we agreed. We just said it just starts there. Then it says 10. Oh, that's the first thing. Well, that's just an integer. So we're just, or a method is called on that. So we're going to put that onto the stack. So put object 10. Then we're going to describe the method that's called, and it's times, but there's also an argument, which is a block. So that's what the send is. So send the method times to 10, but also store some information that there's a block and then leave because that's the end of that the re- all the rest of the method is basically the block right so mm-hmm. then then there's an, another control frame added called eval which is always added no matter what the ruby program says because it's just saying we need a control frame that refers to the highest level the highest scope of the ruby program so now it's like okay we've got the high level which is 10 times and then we've got information about block there is nothing else in this program so the next thing is to start going down the tree so what's the next thing the next thing the first next thing is okay let's now actually put together the yarn instructions for the times method oh because times is has a one-to-one relationship with a method in the c code there's no yarn instructions it literally just calls the c function so it's just saying c function int do times okay then the next thing is okay now we've got do and blah, blah blah and that's when we you know over from figure 12 onwards we start looking at how the block is handled did that help at all um not really i think what i'm confused about is the fact that we have this thing and then we have a separate it, to me it, it okay it looks like it's being evaluated twice to me mm-hmm. and i don't remember doing that in any of the yard in, yard instructions so I'm trying to decide, and, and the thing that's being evaluated isn't the do block, it's the do times. Mm. And the do times is not, like, it's not related to a block, that, that's just do times. So I think what's throwing me off is the fact that we have, like, the first Yarv instructions, which, as you said, is the trace, mm. put object 10, send, blah, 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 leave. And then we have another set that is, like, empty, but is referring to, like, the C function dash mm. int do times, mm-hmm. but that is isn't about the block at all like and when no, i'm looking at block, you know yeah. um yeah when i'm looking at like past examples from like last week uh when we were looking at uh let's say like figure three seven and mm-hmm. we have i think we're doing 
Puts two plus two. Puts two plus two, right. And so we have the opt-send symbol, puts, whatever, whatever. But mm-hmm. then it just continues. Like there isn't like a separate thing that also happens. So I guess what I'm having a hard time is like, is it specifically because of the due times method? Is it is, is it related to – because this whole section is supposed to be about the block. So I was expecting it to focus on the block. And this example isn't actually really touching the fact that there's a block. Well, not – no, well, the block is coming next. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same. So he hasn't finished his example. Um now, let me just think about this this point that you made about 2, 2, where it just goes op plus and op and simple. So I think this is because he says, so he says in 57. On page 57? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one, so puts 2 plus 2, this one line Ruby script doesn't have a Ruby call stack. So I'll focus on the internal YAR stack for now. So there's something that distinguishes puts 2 plus 2 and this one that we're looking at now, which means it doesn't have a th- this other bit that the control frame stuff it doesn't have, it doesn't have it. So the thing is, okay, so okay, so in this example with um with three eleven, it's like the opposite problem, I guess, where it has the control frame structure, but it doesn't have YARB instructions. Well, it doesn't have YARB instructions only for the times bit. Right, right, right. And that's because it's just saying that times is a special thing, which when you see times and along with a few other things that are listed somewhere, it just has a one-to-one relationship to a C code. Because the point, so the point of the YARV instructions is like an intermediary step to transforming your Ruby code into something that goes and sends instructions to the C code. Right. To some C files, right? Yeah, so this example, like you just don't need that intermediary step. And, and that's fine. I think the thing that frustrates me about this is this is a, a pretty big difference from the last example we did, where the last example we only focused on the YARV's internal stack and we focused yeah. on a lot of YARV instructions. And this is like in some cases we don't have YARV instructions, but now we have these C, C control frame structures. And so without understanding like why is this different, I'm, I'm not really sure what is the part. Like, I feel like I'm just kind of supposed to ignore that, but that I don't like I want to understand it and <laughs> I don't, I don't want to ignore it. You know, so it just, yeah, it threw me off. Mm. So did that help at all? or Because keep in mind, I'm also not sure myself. I'm just trying to piece it yeah. together. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I understand your confusion. And I'm not like, this is exactly yeah. why I'm just trying to piece it together with what I with what I see in front of me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the answer is that's the way it works because that's the way it works, which is a very dissatisfying answer. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like this section is supposed to be about the call block. Uh, this is nothing and to do with the block. Definitely. We haven't right, exactly, exactly. So we can just move on to figure three twelve. So for figure three twelve, this is now um and I guess this is another interesting bit, which I don't know whether you had this question, but Pat says figure three twelve shows what the YARV and control frame stacks will look like if we interrupt the program inside the inner block. And I guess at my point I was like, Oh, can't we just show the YARV instructions with the block? Why do we need this thing of we've interrupted the program? Do you know what I mean? Did that make any sense? Mm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Like, surely there's just a state of the world, which is here's the code with a block. Here are all the corresponding YARV instructions or control frames. Voila. Like, why is it this concept of we need to interrupt the program? But I sort of get get what it's looking at. It's like trying to take a snapshot at a certain point in time. Um, So let's dig into this a bit Mm, more. mm -hmm. So now we have a fourth control frame um, structure at at the top. And this time in the square brackets, it says block. So it's, that's clearer. It's referring to a block. And then we've got the corresponding YARV instructions, which we've seen similar things earlier in the book. So it has trace and then put self and then put string 
um, and the quick brown fox dot 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 so the rest of that sentence and then we have an opt send simple because um, we're calling the method puts so we've got another call info bang mid uh, colon puts etc and then we have leave and so and mm -hmm. so just to like go over what all the what all the control frame structures are we've got the top and eval frames that ruby always starts with we've got the c func just to handle that that call of 10 dot times and then we have a block which corresponds to all the other instructions that deal with the code running inside the block yes so now we're going to dig into our first bit of the c code right we decided this week to have a little look at what was going on in those c sections to see if that would help us mm -hmm. you know, get a better idea of what was going on do you want to take this away Soren? sure so we are looking at uh, i guess this is figure 313 um, and this is on page 63 and it's taking a close look at a yarv instruction uh, which was like a big question that i personally had in last episode so here we start with something that was kind of like a, a question for me where I was like, wait a minute, like what is actually implementing things? And it says right off the bat, Ruby implements all your instructions like put object or send using C code. Um, and then that C code is then compiled into machine language and then that's executed by your hardware. So that's kind of the, the thesis of this entire little section that we're going to get into. So uh, here... Uh, it talks about how... By the way, I think that I highlighted that sentence because I think it covers a question that we had maybe a few weeks ago where we were trying to work out the relationship between Ruby code, C code, compilation and machine language. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I read that and thought, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's basically like the big thing that was kind of confusing me. So here uh, we talk about how we need to have this YARV instruction C code so that um, the C can basically know what to do with these YARV instructions. And we save all that information in a really, really large file called insns.def. So insns.def. Mm -hmm. And can I just say that there's a bit later on where we talk about a method called define insn and uh, Pat says, it's not hard to figure out that define insn stands for define instruction. And I was like, I didn't figure that out. <laughs> but me too. <laughs> I'm so glad that wasn't just me because I'm like, no, I didn't guess that. <laughs> yes. And so we look at listing 3-3, uh, we see a short little snippet of the definition of the put self yarv instruction. So here um, we start with, I think, the main part of it, which is define underscore I-N-S-N. Uh, and then the next line reads put self. Then the next two lines are just empty parentheses. And then the next line is parentheses in all caps value and then in lower caps val and parentheses. And then we have curly brackets. And in those curly brackets, we have lowercase uh, val equals all caps get underscore self with an empty parentheses colon. Can I just say, I think we, you know, we need to have like, a, you know, maybe a moment's silence or a round of applause. I think that's the first time in over 50 episodes of our podcast that we've had non-Ruby code read out. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I might be wrong. That, that is a good point. But whatever. <laughs> no, I, I think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so here Pat says that this doesn't actually look like C code, um, which oh, yeah. frankly, I really wouldn't funny. know. <laughs> Me too. I, I, I noticed that point. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, sure, if you say so. And instead, the only C code that we see is the very last bit that I read out, which is val equals all caps get self and then uh, open parentheses, close parentheses, colon. So here, 
we talk about how Ruby processes and converts the um, that file into actual C code during the Ruby build process. And this is very similar to how Bison works with the parse.y file and parse.c file that we looked at. I think it was in the first chapter is when we talked, or was it the second chapter we talked about I parsing? Think second chapter. No, no, sorry. First chapter was tokenization and parsing. Okay, yeah. So referring back to that. So we have a nice little diagram or a nice little figure, 3-13, where we have YARV instruction definitions, which is that insns.def file. And then we have an arrow pointing to a little circle that says preprocess. And then all that spits out something called the vm.inc file, which is the YARV C code. So we have those instructions. And then during Ruby's actual build time, which is the preprocess part, we end up with this YARV C code. Yes. And then um, we've got example 3.4 which shows um, what those instructions for put self are transformed into. And I don't think I'm going to read all of them out, but uh, we have some interesting checkpoints to focus on. So um, there's one bit where we can see um, that we, so we have that line val equals get self that appears in the C code, the bit of C that was in the instructions. Um, but there's also something that um, says add underscore PC and then in brackets one plus zero. And that's where we imp- increment the program counter register. And it was at this point that I realized, of course, C is a low level language. So the what it's actually doing at each point is going to sound quite basic and straightforward because it is just, you know, it's low level. There's not going to be a lot of um, magic. It's going to be quite mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um and then we've also got, we also have the bit of code which says push and then in brackets val, which pushes the the value of what's ever stored in the variable val onto Yarv's internal stack. And he says that if you look through um, vm.inc, um, you'll see that same bit of code repeated over and over again for the definition of each Yarv instruction. And I was like, oh, you see, even here, there's lots of repetition. You know, it's not like they've managed, you can extract, mm. extract that out. For each one, you're going to want to push a certain value onto the stack. So I thought that was that was interesting. Um, and then also, so we we found out that this C source code file, so the one with all the Yarv instructions, is then included in another file called vm underscore exec dot C. And that contains the um, the main YARV instruction loop that knows how to step through the YARV instructions in your program, um, one after the other. So next we move on to experiment 3-1, which is benchmarking Ruby 2.0 and Ruby 1.9 versus Ruby 1.8. So I really appreciate these moments where we talk about the difference between the Ruby versions, because to me, that's that gives me a really good sense of the story of Ruby and the why. Mm-hmm. Right, because there have definitely been a couple moments where I'm like, "Why are we doing this?" Uh, and then Pat will come in and say, "Oh, well, we used to do it differently here, but that was too slow, or that was too hard, or that was whatever." And you know, we decided to upgrade it by fixing this, and that just helps me appreciate and understand things a little bit better. So we have an entire experiment dedicated to just understanding those differences. Yeah, it was good for me because it, exactly like what you said, I was like, you know, you lose sight of why did they introduce a compiler? Ah, this is why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives you like the journey of a language, which is like, you know, when they first built Ruby, they just thought, oh, we'll go from the AST to this. And then, you know, there was a process of, hmm, Ruby's a bit slow. How can we make it faster? Um, so that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So here we talk about how the earlier versions of Ruby when it executed programs, it did it by just stepping directly through the nodes of the abstract syntax tree or AST. And there was actually no compile step at all. It just tokenized, it parsed, and then immediately executed your code. Uh, And that was for 1.8. And I think it was 
Yeah, it was 1.9, where we introduced the YAR virtual machine, and doing that was much, much faster than just walking through the AST on its own. So we look at listing 3-5, where we see the following code, i equals 0, next line, while i is less than argv straight brackets 0 dot 2i, uh, and then in that loop we have i plus equals 1 end. And so here we just wrote a very, very simple uh, script just to kind of figure out what the, the speeds are going to be for 2.0, 1.9, and 1.8. And so that i equals zero while loop, that simple script I mentioned, we save all of that in a file called benchmark1.rb. And so now we want to execute that and see how fast it is. And so to do that, we call time ruby benchmark1.rb and we pass in the variable one. And when we get that, what we end up seeing is Ruby benchmark 1.rb, number 1, number 0 0.02 seconds, user 0, 0.00 seconds, system 92%, CPU 0 0.023 total. And then next we do the same thing, we run it 10 times. So we have time Ruby benchmark 1.rb and then passing in the variable 10. And here uh, the numbers change very slightly. So here we have Ruby benchmark 1.rb 10. And then we have the same 0.02 seconds, we have the same user, we have the same 0.00 seconds, we have system again, but now we have 94% instead of the 92, we have CPU, and then we have 0.027 instead of 0.023, and then we have total. And then we've got a lovely graph um, in figure 3.14, and that shows on a logarithmic scale um, three languages, Ruby 1.8, three language versions, I should say. Ruby 1.8.7, 1.9.3, and 2.0. And it takes that simple script um, and looks at the number of iterations against the time in seconds. And I don't know why, but I was surprised when I just first looked at it to not see um, a difference between Ruby 1.9.3 and Ruby 2.0 as the number of iterations increased. I don't Me know, too. I just thought, oh, there will be some improvements. Yeah. And it was interesting that in the lower iterations, Ruby 2.0 is um is slower than ruby 1.9.3 did i get that right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah you did and so um if we look at a small number of iterations ruby 1.8.7 is faster than 1.9.3 and 2 and this is because with with such a simple script and um not very many iterations and we're talking up to around 10,000 or so of um ruby 1.8.7 is faster and this is because the there's extra time taken in compiling all of the code for no gain. So Ruby 1.87 immediately executes the code, whereas there's time spent compiling. Um, and um, Pat says that if you look at the, the discrepancy, it comes to about 0 0.01 seconds. So that's basically how long it takes for the later versions of the language to compile the script into YAV instructions. Um, and in fact, it, it also says, you know, what I said earlier, which is, Ruby 2.0 is a bit slower than 1.9 for short loops. And I'm guessing maybe that's because there are some, see, this is what confused me because I thought, so there is a difference between 1.9.3 and 2.0, but that difference is only apparent in a negative sense rather than in, um, mm. rather than when you get into bigger iterations. So I'm assuming maybe when you have more complex scripts, that's when you see that Ruby 2.0 is faster than 1.9.3. Mm -hmm. And so, but yeah, when you're getting to around 11,000 iterations and above, so um, Ruby 1.9.3 and Ruby 2.0 are faster. Um, and and where the graph crosses, where the lines cross over is where 
the additional speed that you have from the compilation um, makes up for the time spent compiling. And we see that Ruby 1.9 and 2 are about 4.25 times faster than Ruby 1.87. So that that statement, and I, I think I highlighted this in my book too, where it says this crossover occurs when the additional speed provided by executing YARV instructions begins to pay off and make up for the additional time spent compiling. I didn't really understand that. Um, I highlighted it and circled it and wrote why. Um, because I guess I, I didn't understand. So the way... Okay, so we're executing the YARV instructions, but there's additional time spent compiling. Why would that change after a certain number? Because, okay, one way to look at it is, let's assume you have to, I'm trying to think of a good example. Is it that you're compiling it once? Yes. And then running it a million times? Exactly. I was trying to give you some like physical example of like walking in between two points and again and again. And maybe, so someone spends an hour putting on some special shoes that make them go faster but if you're only doing it five times the time it took to put on the shoes the other person's already finished using their normal shoes whereas if you're doing it a million times you you can spend five hours putting on the shoes and still beat the person who started straight away because the speed that you're going to gain from the special shoes then enables you to catch up but if you've already finished well so i was gonna say so that must mean like the the compiling step takes like super long well no like for it to take that many iterations for it to execute for it to pay well, off well actually remember um if we look at the 1.87 when it's the smallest iterations the difference only comes to 0.01 seconds but i guess you know in software a second or two seconds is very long you know if they if it says page load time is like you know two seconds that's very slow um so we're talking about like um tenths of a second and milliseconds um yeah well, I wasn't. I didn't mean specifically like the the time difference is big or small. I meant like the amount of. I guess I'm just surprised that it takes so many iterations for it to pay off. Like eleven thousand. Like I would think, yeah, like that's a lot for uh, for a simple script. Yeah, it's quite a lot, isn't it? Because I'm because I'm thinking because like the reason why I think it's a lot is like how often do you have a times that's you know do this ten thousand like that's not really a thing. Yeah, maybe in like maybe this is why you know when they're talking about big data stuff and all this kind of thing, you don't use Ruby because it's not performant. But <laughs> at least not Ruby uh, one point yeah. seven. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are some things that require like heavy batch processing, but then a, a different language is used. Yeah. So this week the reading for me was uh, maybe like a three. Yeah, I think wow, it's a three. three. It's a three for me. What about you? I was going to go with a five because... Oh, okay. Yeah, I am, um, like I said, bits of the air, but I was, some bits were starting to cement a little bit, um, but it wasn't as, you know, I didn't go through it as smoothly as I would have liked. Yeah. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio. 